0: Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer.
1: Brought to you by Digitex. Office equipment solutions North America wide. Yeah,
2: Digitex
1: does that.
0: D I G I T E X dot on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. So 134 in Edmonton, Bob Stoffer, Brendan S. Scott with you. This is Oilers Now. We'll mention tomorrow. Stoffer Inspector for Horse Racing Alberta. Speck will be joining us from the beach. Uh, so he'll be doing a phone hit. You know what that means, Brendan. You're going to need to uh, get on the blower. Uh, Wednesday, coming up in our Legends series. Dwayne. Speaking of the 06 Stanley Cup final, toughest losses. And uh, again, Jack mentioned uh, yesterday uh, for him because he's such a big Roger Federer fan. This is one of the three toughest losses as a fan of all time. Uh, We talked a bit about our Oilers losses, toughest losses, and you can text us at 630, 630. I think we're going to kill the the calls here for the next seven or eight minutes just because we got so many texts. I want to try to get a bang off a bunch here. 50 years. Royal Pizza, Edmonton-owned and operated. Star for recommendation, Royal Pizza, the Mediterranean Chicken. 14 locations in Edmonton. Visit royalpizza.ca or download the Royal Pizza app from the App Store for menu and locations. Star for recommendation, again, Mediterranean Chicken, everything is real at uh, Royal. All right, here we go. Uh, David has texted the show, toughest losses, biggest loss? Kerry Fraser's no-call Game 7 Leafs LA when Wayne got away with high-sticking Dougie Gilmore, then scored the winning goal. Wasn't that Game 6? And then Gretzky went in and got a hat-trick in Toronto in Game 7? Because I I don't know if people know this, but Bob McKenzie, at that time was with the Toronto Star, he actually called out Wayne Gretzky. And Wayne got a hat-trick in Game 7. Kind of called him out. But yeah, there was the miss high stick, I'm pretty sure was in game six. Uh, out of Fort McMurray, I'm going to gather that this next Texter is not a fan of the New England Patriots. Toughest loss Atlanta Falcons, 25 points crushed by New England in the uh, Super Bowl. You can text us at 6.30, 6.30. Bob, I understand this uh, is maybe a local Canadian loss discussion. However, an unfair national disappointment has to be when England lost to Argentina via the hand of God. And people complain about video replay. So we're going to go. That's 1986. It's the World Cup. And uh, Maradona went in and feigned a header, but definitely got it with his hand and deflected it up, and it was was Peter Shilton, the English goaltender at that time, maybe um that's eighty six. He might have been. Of course, did he not score the greatest goal in World Cup history a little bit later on? I didn't want to English players say, and I quote. Uh, the first one shouldn't have counted, but the second one was worth two anyways. When he deked through their entire team, Maradona. That was when he was at his absolute. Age. I think he was twenty one years of age. Because I remember in eighty two, when I first started watching the World Cup, they were playing Brazil, and he got tossed out. He got red carded for a, a vicious uh, spike. Do you ever see? Hey, Brendan, do you ever see uh, when Maradona, Maradona's last game that he played for Barcelona? No, I don't think so. There was this guy called the Butcher of wherever he was from, Butcher of Seville or something like that. And he was absolutely. I mean, you got to understand in the 80s, like when guys fouled you, they fouled you hard. It was Gary Lineker, by the way, who said the first one shouldn't have counted, but the second one was worth two. Gary Lineker actually might have won the Golden Boot 1982 or 1986 World Cup. Anyhow, Maradona, I think it was '84, was uh, playing in the uh, Spanish, whatever it is, the the cup that they have in Spain, and he, they were going after him all game, hard tackles, and I mean hard tackles, like they were kicking the crap out of each other, and he lost it, and he he boot kicked a couple guys in the face like karate style, like flat out. It was just like like the King of Spain got involved, and that's how bad it was. Uh, Again, Bob, you're correct. It's Peter Shilton. Bob, toughest loss when Peter Shirelli traded Taylor Hall and passed on P.K. Subban. If they traded one for one, both teams would have been better off. I'm not sure that was ever there. Plus, wasn't Subban being in the process of being traded for Weber at the exact same moment? My understanding was the Canadians, and again, it was George Larocque who put out uh, the rumor, and I, I, I've always disagreed that this was ever in play. It was like dry nurse and a number one for Seaman, and it made no sense from the owner's perspective. Again, you can text us at 630-630. Uh... Again, you can text us, Bob. Steve Bernier, five-minute major in Game Six of the 2012 Stanley Cup Final. Kings score four goals in that major. They win the Stanley Cup. Boo hoo, Vegas. Again, you can text us. Uh, how about this toughest loss? Seattle Seahawks getting picked off by Malcolm Butler of the Patriots. Give that ball to Marshawn Lynch, and you have another Super Bowl. I was we were in Sa- uh, we were in San Jose when that occurred. So you can imagine which way the fans were going. The majority of the fans were cheering for uh, the Seahawks. Patriots, you know, the Patriots have been so good. Like, there's a lot of Patriot hate, hatred out there at the NFL level. And uh, there you have it. People were in shock on the call. Bob PK got traded immediately after uh, traded uh, Taylor Hall. No coincidence. Well, that's what you, that's what your sources are saying. I don't believe. I believe the orders may have been closer at that. Put it this way, there might have been a better opportunity for Edmonton to have gotten in on Alex Petrangelo than PK Subban, but it was going to cost plus plus on Taylor Hall seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. Brendan, can you do me a favor here? My computer is jamming. Oh, I know. I can get it now. Uh, very quick. Toughest loss. Uh, okay. Lots coming in here. We'll get to a couple more. What's Greg, uh, is this Greg on line one? What do you got, Greg? Okay, am I on? You're on, yes.
2: Okay, hi, Bob. I hope you're having a good day. Um,
0: Are you about to make it a bad one? W- what do you mean? I'm just having fun with you. Go for it. What do you got?
2: Okay, uh, well, organization, bad season last year. That's no secret. Um, two bad.
0: So bad years in a row. Well, I have a new general manager, and then they have a new coach. kind of starts there, doesn't it?
2: I guess if you're going to make uh, changes in that department, it, it does start there. So what what do the Oilers need to change to become more successful? Well, um, I'm just going to propose two things that come to mind. And, of course, it's I'm biased because this is my train of thought. Um, for one... I have a bit of a track background. Never, never really played hockey. Only one year, and it was just okay. fun.
0: Okay, go for it.
2: Do a one mile time trial, one mile run time trial, uh, before the season begins. See see how they perform. Um, and second thing.
0: Okay, wait a sec here. So you, you you think you think there's some correlation between a guy being able to do a one uh, how long it takes a guy to run a mile and how effective of a hockey player he's going to be.
2: It's it's arguable there could be. Here, look at it this way. If you have a five-minute power play uh, and you can, and you know you can run a, m- a mile at a decent clip, you're going to have endurance to uh, okay. capitalize on the power it's play. It's an
0: interesting concept. Um, I would tell you that there's probably a little bit more actual track training than you believe with today's players okay Just in terms of getting the quick twitch going, uh, speed quickness, lighter training, you got to set you said there were two things. What was the second thing?
2: Okay, second thing um, you know to to go to these games, I, I don't even know what ticket prices are, but you know to make them a little bit accessible accessible for even people who are really you know on the bottom of the economic uh, spectrum, offer maybe a $50 night for I don't know, X number of tickets, You know why once or twice you
0: think, a year. Greg, I, I will tell you a story. So, I was at the season seed holder events, okay? I did one of them uh, on a Thursday morning. And you could imagine that the season seed holders that are going to show up a thirty Thursday morning in minus 15 weather in Edmonton, they got to be pretty committed to be there to breakfast. You know what I'm saying? Before their work day starts. And the, yeah, biggest, yeah. and the biggest criticism that was directed. The owners did a thing called a Cyber Monday sale, and they slashed ticket prices like 40% on Monday and Tuesday. And all of the season seed holders who paid full pull, they were not too pleased with that, right? And so I get what you're saying. I can appreciate what you're saying. I The moment you start discounting tickets is the moment you become a Central Hockey League team. It, 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 I just, I, I'm sorry, man. You know, it, the the consumer votes with their with their dollar, and the market bears it. And that's just the, the reality of the situation. And if the orders, you know what, if Edmonton doesn't get it turned around here, they're not going to have uh, 85 or 88 or 90% renewal on tickets. It's going to be much less than that. So the team has to perform. So that is appreciated. But the fact of the matter is I see it, I, I and actually on the secondary market, Greg, on the secondary market, you can get tickets at fifty percent. Yeah,
2: if you go online
0: or whatever, yeah. Yeah, you can. You, so you can access them there, but the team can't sell them on the primary market like that. That's not how it works. It's not a successful business model. Okay. Thanks for the call, Greg. Oh, have a good day. Take care. Yep. Yeah. He had some interesting ideas. Uh, text us at six thirty, six thirty. Tweet us at orders now. Uh, toughest. Uh, Allen's uh, brings up toughest uh, loss. He brings up the Blue Jays in the nineteen. It seemed like they could never get over the hump in the late nineteen eighties, right? They did in 93 all the way to the final. When we come back, in orders now.
1: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever.
0: Manny Viveros, uh, the head coach of the Spokane Chiefs, thank you to everybody that called the show and texted in on the show. This is Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on Oilers Radio 630 Ched. Quickly off to the stay Oilers history, and here is Brendan S. Scott. Thank you, Bob. Well, uh, back in 2010, General Manager Steve Tambellini names 41-year-old Todd Nelson previously of the Atlanta Thrashers the new head coach of the Oklahoma City Barons. And then later that day, former Oilers defenseman Steve Smith named an assistant on Tom Rennie's coaching staff. And Tom Todd Nelson actually applied to be the head coach of the Edmonton Oil Kings, did not get... Uh, They went with Derek Laxdahl and then turned around and said, wait a sec here, this is the right guy to coach our team in the uh, American Hockey League. That's kind of how it went down. Kind of. All right. uh, A guy who spent time uh, successfully coaching in the Western League is back in the Western League. We caught up with him earlier today. The new head coach of the Spokane Chiefs, Manny Viveros. Well, Manny, how did this happen with the Spokane Chiefs? Uh, when did they reach out, and when did you guys start having conversations, and how long did it take for you to uh, uh, to commit to what's been a, a really good Western Hockey League organization?
1: Well, Bob, uh, once, once we were granted permission from the Oilers to start looking for other opportunities, uh, uh, Scott Carter and uh, Bobby Brett, the owner of the uh, uh, Spokane Chiefs reached out to me and, and uh, asked if I'd be interested in uh, possibly uh, joining the Chiefs for the next coming season here. So, um, my, originally my plan was hopefully to stay in the National Hockey League, and uh, nothing had uh, really uh, transpired or or, anything or came to fruition uh, through midsummer here. And then uh, uh, the more I thought about it, and the more you know, I discussed it with my wife, and you know, we looked, at knowing the organization very well in Spokane and what they've done over the years uh, with. That franchise
0: uh, we thought it was a great opportunity well uh, you were certainly rumored to be in the mix in ottawa as an example i know you interviewed of dj smith there so there were some opportunities it's interesting with spokane because to me manny spokane's been a bit like Kelowna. Uh, they, they've generally had pretty good teams and they've had a lot of continuity uh, and their coaches have been able to go on to the next level like a mike babcock and a bill peters well, it
1: certainly is that's something if you look back at their uh, past four coaches with the Spokane Chiefs, all gone directly uh, to the National Hockey League. And that's something, again, uh, Bob, that's my ultimate goal, uh, again, um, is to, you know, get back to the National Hockey League. Um, you know, I've, I'm very familiar with the Western Hockey League. Uh, you know, it's very special to me. Um, and I think it's a great opportunity to keep working here. I did have an option, you know, to basically get a sit uh, for a season and to see what's out there. But, uh, you know what, so we're know we're, we're we're coaches we're a little bit wired differently we need to be working um you know we need to be staying current you need to be you know involved in the game um as much as possible and i think more importantly if uh if i stuck around all winter and did nothing my wife would probably kill me
0: <laughs> uh well hey you're not the only one manny Viveros joining us the head coach of the spokane chiefs manny you spent the last year in edmonton what will you take out of that year well, there's a lot,
1: Bob. You know, obviously it was unfortunate, uh, you know, how the season ended uh, for the organization. And obviously it's been, well, uh, you know, a document of what uh, went on through the whole year. But I look at it as a positive. I never look at anything as a negative. And i learned, uh, you know, invaluable lessons. I learned a lot of things from, uh, you know, a short period of time working with Todd McCall and Ken Hitchcock and, and the other coaching staff. Um, but uh, more importantly is, you know, just those relationships that you build with those players uh, they're great, great kids, and uh, you know it's uh, something that uh, you certainly are going to miss those guys. But it's something that uh, your every day was you're learning something not only through your own team, but just having opportunity in the National Hockey League to watch other teams and what they do well, and that's something I'm certainly going to take with me going to
0: Spokane. Well, you've you know you've coached some terrific players in junior, but. Just the thought on having the privilege to coach a Connor McDavid or a Leon Dry settler or Ryan nugent Hopkins
1: well, just watching these guys every single day in practice sometimes I know our our coaching staff we were just aw- in awe at what they could do at such a high level and and the tempo and speed that they they did their uh, did their, their normal practices and that's something that was incredible and uh, you know they're great hockey players, and you know obviously those guys are going to be uh, the major. Part of uh, how this Orlando organization is going to get turned around and get back in the playoffs. Uh,
0: You had two different head coaches. How did you learn from each of them differently?
1: Well, they're both, they're different styles. You know, first of all, you look at Ken Hitchcock as far as he's the third winningest, uh, most winning coach in, in the history of the National Hockey League and just his knowledge. Uh, there, there was, There's nothing that uh, Ken has never seen over his throughout his career, whether it was in junior or the National Hockey League. So just watching how he works and how he reacted, nothing ever got him flustered. He's seen it before. He's been a part of it. And uh, that for me was, uh, was really good as how he handled everything on a day-to-day basis, especially in the Canadian market, Um, and also with Todd. Uh, Todd is, uh, you know, a very upbeat, up-tempo, very positive individual, and uh, just learning from both those guys and how they, you know, the terminology they use uh, as far as uh, the hockey system and everything else is something that uh, I was learning every single day.
0: All right, there you go. That's Manny Viveros. He's the head coach of the Spokane Chiefs. It's Bob Stauffer with you at 153. Uh, Epstein's mother, Texas, at 630, 630. Bob, uh, you were asked last week, would the Oilers organization have a uh, de facto tough guy in the minor leagues? The Pacific Division is still a very tough division. Um, Nobody has been signed yet, so what's happening? asks Epstein's mother. And my response thought so that would be, my expectation is uh, you could see a guy getting signed a veteran um, enforcer type. Would not surprise me if a veteran enforcer type ended up getting signed to an American Hockey League deal here at some time over the next couple of weeks. Another text comes to us from Jacques out of Slave Lake. Bob, what's going on with Milan Lucic and Yassapogliarvi? You haven't hit on that all day. Have I not hit on that all day? Oh, I guess not. It's Uh, been refreshing. uh, That we haven't discussed. Well, I mean, things could still happen. I'd say situations are fluid. You know, certainly in Lucic's case, I know there's been a lot of mentioning of Louis Erickson. uh, As well as James Neal. Never say never is what I'd say in either count. At times, I thought maybe, okay, not definitely 100% not going to happen. I wouldn't say that right now. Never say never. But is there a chance Lucic would be back with the orders? Absolutely. Is there a chance a move could happen? Potentially. I do believe, and I know it's been reported by a couple guys out of Vancouver that Erickson wouldn't come to Edmonton. I do not believe that to be the case. Okay. But I'm I'm getting that kind of not through the team end of things, but more through the agency side of the business. As for Poliarve, um, if I were to project a higher you know, I don't even want to do that right now. So but there may actually, believe it or not, be more options right now for Lucic than there might be for Poliarve. Partially based on the potential return. We'll see. I don't know. Both situations. Or fluid, but may have a conclusion sometime in the next week to 10 days, okay? Because you got to start, uh, you, you got to think middle, you know, first of August till third week of August that's kind of the real downtime and hockey, which is Brendan, why you're hosting uh, during those three weeks the kind of guy I'm there for you. What does Reed Wilkins have tonight at Inside Sports? It is the Edmonton Eskimos coaching Coaches Show rather, with uh, Jason Moss. And then we'll also hear from Montreal Alouettes analyst Matthew Pruel from uh, the French version of T- TSN, that is RDS. All right, uh, Spectre and Stoffer tomorrow for the Horses. Horse Racing in Alberta reminding you, live racing at the new Century Mile Racetrack Thursday night, Saturday and Sunday days. We'll have a couple other guests on tomorrow's show as well. Up next, a global news weather traffic update with Randy Kilburn, followed by the 6.30 Chet Afternoon News with Jason. And I so long, everybody from Oilers Now. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon
1: on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.